to move directly into the setup, I'm going to set the table for what's happening today. Um, issues of racial tension and injustice are being brought uh, to the forefront again. And we are very much aware of this. And I just want to say lovingly, pastoral trigger warning. So <laughs> today, today could be very uh, intense and we're going there as a family. I just want to let you know that and uh, just let you know that we're, we're, we're going to be talking as family, not as experts. So um, there, there's room for holding grace, abundant grace for one another. There has to be in the new family of Jesus um, because we have to go here and we're not experts. So we make mistakes and we're still family. Um, you know, like, you know, Will, that, that quote from Will Smith is going around, uh, race isn't getting worse, it's just getting filmed. And that's very, very true. Um, with the recent police killings of unarmed black people, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and now George Floyd, there is an outcry. And we, we are in the eye of the storm and we're feeling it all around us. And, um, and so for today's, for today's church service, uh, we, you know, we're recognizing that this moment could very well mark the, the end or a huge leap forward toward justice away from a centuries deep systemic racism issue in our country. And we celebrate God's movement. He, he's a master. God is so wise at repurposing evil for the good of his people. And, and we see him doing that all over the place right now. Um, so for today's church, today's church service, rather than me doing a one-off teaching or sending out a few like Instagram posts or whatever, um, or even, even instead of bringing in an outside speaker, we will do that next week. Um, but for today, the consensus among the leadership was that we, we need to have a family discussion with diverse voices from within our church around the Holy Spirit and race. Uh, we've been having these conversations slowly and relationally for for over a year internally as a team, as a diverse team. Um, but now today we, we pray that this public discussion leads to more ongoing conversation about greater unity and, and not just unity and not just right now during COVID, we're talking about this, but ongoing actionable solutions toward racial justice in our city through the church. So before we do the dialogue, setting the table, um, because when it comes to conversation about race and justice, I am 100% convinced that the most beautiful, compelling way to get at this is through the way of Jesus. Biblical reconciliation through the way of Jesus. And the story starts uh, in uh, Genesis. <laughs> Chaos is all over the world uh, in Genesis 11. And then God chooses one family in Genesis 12 to bless every other tribe. That was God's plan all along, to bless every tribe. Look at the verse, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I'll show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And get this, all the peoples can be translated tribes or families. All the places people come from, all the tribes will be blessed through you. That was the plan all along. God's dream was to bless all of the tribes with his own personal presence and be with all of us and, um, and create one new human family around Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And that dream came true at Pentecost. So we're two weeks after Pentecost now. And that dream came true 
uh, if you remember the story, the Holy Spirit comes and washes the first Jesus followers with the Holy Spirit's power. And suddenly every language was represented. Every tribe was seen and heard and represented in that moment. Look at the text, Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they're sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation. So Jews from every nation, not just, not just from Israel. And, and uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so there's this huge moment of uh, multiple diverse cultures and people being seen and brought into the new family of Jesus. And <clears throat> what we find though, four pages later, there's still work to be done. The dream is coming true, but there's work to do. Um, it's beautiful, but there is, there is some, there's some pain in the body. Look at verse uh, one of chapter six. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews, those were Jews with Greek come from, with Greek culture, so they were of a different tribe, so to speak. So the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So picture that scene. You have cultures at war in the church. The Holy Spirit came. These people saw the Spirit come and they're still struggling with the picture. Um, and so, so what they do later on in the text, I'm not going to read it, but they, they raise up a bunch of Greek Christians to be a bridge builder, to be a bridge building. Like one scholar called this, you know, the first example of affirmative action. Like the church raised up intentionally Greek speaking servants of Jesus to see and serve the overlooked Greek culture, Jewish widows. Beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, but there was still work to be done. If you turn another four pages in the book, um, you, you see this vision. You see, this, uh, you see Peter hanging out with Jesus, praying on his roof. You know, we're big on that at Park Hill, be with Jesus. And so Peter is just practicing imaginative prayer and a trance falls over him. And, and, and in the trance, what happens? Uh, God comes to Peter and says, hey, Peter, eat this foreign food. Eat this non-kosher, you know, reptiles and all kinds of non-kosher four-footed creatures. And Peter's like, no, that's not, I didn't grow up with that. I haven't eaten that ever since childhood. That's, that's not my come from. And, and God says, don't call dirty what I've cleaned. And, and Peter does that three times. Peter denies Christ three times again. <laughs> so you, so he, so he denies Jesus in the Gospels, but he, we don't often think Jesus denies Christ three times again. And this time it's about inclusion. 
And, and he's like, no, I don't, I don't do that with them. I haven't ever. And so uh, <clears throat> then after the third time, God brings the vision off of Peter and Peter wakes up. And I think it's significant. Peter awoke because at that moment, a knock on the door and guess who? It is the people who eat reptiles. It's, it's, it's the others in his mind. It's them. And I think it's, it's significant that that's when Peter, it says he awoke in that moment. And there is a waking up that takes place. Because you know what he did in that moment? He said, as he heard the knock, he's like, oh, this is that. This is that. This is the inclusive mission God is calling me into. I get it. And so what does Peter do? And this is key for us today. Peter, instead of just agreeing that they're included, yes, I, I believe it. I, of course they're included. No, no, he, he doesn't just agree. He takes action moves out of his space and crosses their threshold, moves into their space, sits down at their table and the Holy Spirit washes over everyone, the Gentiles and Jews. And um, come on, uh, this, is, this is where we find ourselves now. In a moment where the Spirit is calling us to listen and to step into the space that is uncomfortable, that is not maybe our space or hasn't been. We need to make it our space now. Um, and, and Peter in Acts 10, there's a verse. He says, Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation those who fear him and does what is right. Peter woke up in that moment. People are waking up in this moment I believe by the power of the spirit. It's those three words, I now realize. So beautiful. I now realize God does not show favoritism. I now realize uh, that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation. So powerful. A lot of people are saying, I now realize race is still a problem in America. I now realize people of color are legitimately crying out for a very good reason. I now realize. I now realize that there's something unjust about the American system, not just in the US, of course, but there's this injustice where the color of your skin is often directly connected to the benefits you receive or don't receive from society. Whether you're perceived as safe or suspicious. I now realize God does not show favoritism. I'm just, yeah, so we're gonna talk about this more, but at, this, is, this is the short setup. We're gonna move to the conversation in a minute. Um, but I, want, I just wanna say, um, people speaking as a white male, people from dominant white culture are waking up to this reality of racism as a system, racism as a system. It's important for us white brothers and sisters to understand this, that we, white culture, benefit from a 400-year-old system that overtly destroyed black, indigenous, brown, and Asian life for 250 of those years, overtly. Uh, 
from 1619 to the 1860s. And then for the hundred years after that, segregation continued to ravage human life. Uh, There's been beautiful movement toward healing and change, 100%. uh, But it's important to realize that the system of race in America and racism never went away. It just adapted form. And it runs so deep in our nation. This is, again, this is a moment of listening. Listening to the vast majority of oppressed people. Uh, I, I heard it said this way. Hopefully this is helpful. I know I told you, you know, this could be triggering, difficult, but this is where we unanimously as leaders believe God is taking this conversation. In the, here's an analogy. It's helped. In the school in the schoolhouse of America, um, white culture is the required course. Black, indigenous, brown, Asian cultures, they're all uh, electives. So as a white male, I'm born into the required course. I don't need to learn Spanish or Korean to take center stage. And this is privilege, which isn't a bad privilege. You know, it's not bad unless you willfully ignore it. Like it's, it's not a bad thing. I'm, it just means I'm responsible as a white man to name this uh, and use my privilege to platform voices of color through authentic relationships. This is loving my neighbor as myself. As a white male, my parents never once expressed the need to teach me how to behave when I'm pulled over by a cop, okay? That is, that is a part of who I am. It is a privilege. In this moment of tragedy and pandemic and protest, people are waking up to this right now. And this is on everyone's minds, which is both painful and beautiful. So um, here we go. We're gonna, we're gonna move into this moment and... Uh, I'll set, I'll set the ground rules when we get together because the ground rules are simply so that we can, we can talk, we can step into this. We can acknowledge the messiness of the conversation and the need to love through listening. Um, I am very anticipating that God will lead us here in grace. He's a good shepherd. He gently leads. He, he, uh, he loves his children. This could get heavy today and, and that's okay. Um, we're gonna learn to listen a little differently maybe for some of us. And that's good. And so uh, here we go. Here's, here's the, the deal for today. Like I said, uh, I, you know, we could do a one-off sermon or we could you know, do a series. We will do all of that in the future. But today, um, we thought it would be a great idea to get a panel of diverse voices from within the Park Hill Church family together to talk about this moment, to vent, uh, lament, listen, And I just want to say, um, in this moment, I realize that I am the white guy. So uh, I represent what what is unarguably dominant culture in America, as I just finished saying. And so um, there are there are a few things I think that are helpful, especially for, you know, folks with my upbringing to really consider when you step into this conversation. Um, So first off. Five ground rules. Here's, here's kind of, this is helpful, especially if you're in a community and you're going to talk through these things together. I think it's important to agree. We think it's important to agree on, on these things. First off, number one, commit to coming into this conversation with utmost humility, especially for those of us who are part of the dominant white culture. Remember, it's that, you know, white is the required course in America and black, indigenous, people of color, all of that is elective. Humbly assume the posture of listening. 
learning. That's how I'm going to be here. I'm going to do a little ground rule thing, but then I'm going to listen. Um, number two, agree on the shared goal. Like just learning and growing is a great goal. Like I want to learn. I want to grow. Um, and another great goal to agree on is to either agree on things or come to mutual respect and understand. Like, I don't know how to agree with that perspective yet, but I respect you and I'm doing everything I can to feel and understand where you're coming from. That's two. And then number three, um, this is a family discussion. Like there's room for mess and there will be for sure. I, I don't think it's possible for any of us to say the thing that everybody likes in this moment. That's the nature of this moment, which is why we need to remember when we make a mess with our words at the end of it, we're, we're family. There's where else shall we go with Jesus? It's part of the deal. Remember first Corinthians in this moment, I beg you, uh, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus, all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you and, and that you be perfectly united. This directly applies to this conversation around the Holy Spirit and race. And then number four, and this is really important because I see this one compromised a lot, is that all lived experiences are validated in the family of Jesus. All lived experiences. We're going to hear a bunch of diverse lived experiences today. And the goal is to learn and grow and either agree or like come to understand so uh, active listening is key. And like when someone shares something intense, it's like sometimes the only right response is like, thank you. I'm, I'm rich. I'm, ri- I'm enriched from your lived experience. James 119, James 119 is key. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. It's absolutely time for expressing anger. Righteous protest in the face of injustice. This is the time. Um, but in family dialogue, it's important to actively listen first, uh, especially important if you are the dominant white culture. Um, we tend, we, dominant white culture, tends to want to jump to facts and fixing. And quite often, we, we don't feel or respect or understand. Um, we, I know I'm speaking very broadly there, and I don't mean to trigger. Uh, I'm, we, there will be more triggers, I'm sure. So um, uh, our brothers and sisters of color, black and brown image bearers of God are crying out, which means it's time for white culture to actively listen. And then number five, be okay with the discomfort and even the discouragement. This is part of the deal. It, like if you're white and start to feel, oh, this, this conversation is getting too heavy. I just want to back away. Just know that's a privilege to be able to back away. And if you feel like things are too overwhelming, just remember in that moment, people of color are already overwhelmed. Um, so uh, so I, I, that's it. So that's my setup. We're going to move into this now. Um, so we're, we're all on different spots in the journey. We're all processing this in different spaces. So uh, the grace and growth. And now, like, let's, let's, let's uh, hear from all you guys. Like, we're going to go this way and just, just introduce yourself. Jason, Sneka, Ariel, all of you. Like, introduce yourself, name, and, and give your come from. Like, like, where you come from in stepping into life at Park Hill and life here. Jason. Hey, family. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as you guys know, my name is Jason Wyatt. I am the proud husband of this wonderful, beautiful black woman, uh, Tanika Wyatt. We have four beautiful kids. Uh, ranging in ages from 17 all the way to 24. 
Um, South Central LA was where I was born and raised. I was blessed to be adopted at five days old mm. by a wonderful family, Aaron and Lucille Wyatt, who I love and miss dearly. They raised me in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, Aaron was a pastor of a small storefront church. And uh, yeah, so I grew up as a, a PK in a, in a little church. Um, found out just last year through taking a DNA test that I am, you know, 50% African-American with a mixture of a few things and 50% Euro-Jewish. Yeah, so we wondered for all of these years. Um, but yeah, as a black man growing up in L.A., um, it, it's certainly been a blessing to be in San Diego. We've been here now for a little over 20 years. Uh, we've been a part of several local ministries here and came upon Park Hill a few years ago when the church was being established. Uh, my wife was privileged to meet Evan at a multicultural worship conference out of state. And um, yeah, they had a conversation and we found out from some friends that they were planning a church and we were just in transition and looking for something a, a little different. And I really believe that our steps were ordered to be here, to be a part. This is the first time that we've been a part of a church that's predominantly white. We grew up in the Pentecostal background, predominantly black churches. Um, so it's, it's a blessing. I think we've been learning, we've been growing as we continue to do our best to serve and bring honor to the kingdom. Yeah. Go on. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. Tanika. Hi. Hi. Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Tanika Wyatt. I am uh, this man's wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, so grateful for that. Um, as Jason mentioned, uh, we, we actually were both born and raised in Los Angeles. I, actually, I uh, was born in a smaller city um, on the outskirts called Linwood, which is neighboring city to Compton. Most people know about Compton uh, from movies or uh, pop culture and very well known for um, gang violence and drug abuse and, and all kinds of, all the ills of society, right? But, um, and although I was very aware of all of those things growing up, um, I still was surrounded with, uh, by beautiful people and beautiful families. Mm. And, um, you know, because of my own immediate family, the dysfunction there, I was embraced by a lot of those people um, and, and had extended family in the church, as I've mentioned here. Um, many of you have heard a bit of my testimony, but, uh, but neighbors as well. And so, um, you know, I, I grew up, going to a, um, a very mixed race school, but probably two or three white kids. It was mixed with, um, you know, black folks, uh, Latinos, a few Asians, um, Samoans, a lot of Polynesian. Um, and so we were all the others um, mm -hmm. in the school. And even in, even in that, there was racial tension um, between between us, but, uh, or between those groups, but there still was more of a camaraderie, like, okay, we're, we're all in this together. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. Um, so as Jason mentioned, uh, grew up in black Pentecostal churches and we're here at Park Hill, um, you know, for the first time at a predominantly white church, we are used to being in predominantly white culture, 
um, at work and, you know, different events and, and, you know, in different other arenas. But um, we have chosen by God's ordered steps, by his divine order to be here um, with our, our brothers and sisters who don't look like us. And so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but, um, but it has been a blessing and it, it's been a little, it's been a little strained at times, um, but it's been a beautiful process and we believe that God has, um, has us here for a reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Thank we're happy to be here. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for being family with us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <sighs> Ariel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my name's Ariel. I'm the pastor of kids here at Park Hill, which is amazing. Such an honor. Um, I grew up um, in a Christian home, which I'm so grateful for. Parents who truly love the Lord uh, raised us in that same way and can't thank them enough for that. Um, So grew up attending church. um, Yeah, all the things that come with that. I also grew up in um, majority white environments. Um, So yeah. That's such an interesting thing. It's like, uh, so I'm used to being the only black person in the room most of the time, but also extremely aware that I'm the only black person in the room (laughs) most of the time. Um, So it's it's a weird thing to always have uh, on your mind, but um, it's also been wonderful and I've seen the Lord use it. So it's good um, conversations that I've had with my parents throughout um, my childhood and adulthood. It's like, oh, should we have done this? Should we have done this different? And you know what? Like, I'm grateful for the way I was raised. I'm grateful for my experiences. Um, yeah. So that's been, it's been good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. And I just want to acknowledge this, this moment in our culture is a moment of acknowledging the outcry from black life. Yeah. And, and, um, the, the value that has been taken away from black life in mm-hmm. our country. Um, and it's not just, it's just not, it's not just a, a moment of white people recognizing that, but all people recognizing the value of black life. And so uh, we have, um, yeah, Rebecca and her mother, Maria. I would love to just to hear you both. Give your, give your come from and uh, what brought you to the church and all that. So hi everyone, my name is Rebecca. Um, I'm a San Diego native, um, but I grew up in the inner city of San Diego as a first generation college student. And um, stayed here for college, went to the University of California, San Diego, and now I work at Point Loma for the School of Education Department. Um, And I am just so, so grateful um, to have been raised by a strong woman, beautiful woman of God. She has raised me um, to love God and to love our neighbors, mm-hmm. and I'm so thankful. And um, we, we also um, went to an Hispanic church before this, and we were in transition, just like Tanika and her husband. And um, the Holy Spirit called us to Park Hill and to be a part of this family. So we are so grateful um, to be a part of the Park Hill fam. Yeah. And and uh, my beautiful Hispanic mother is sitting right next to me. <laughs> Maria. Yes, my name is Maria. I'm from Mexico City, my whole family. We came in the 60s to Tijuana, Mexico. I grew up as a Catholic, 
very Catholic, almost to do the first communion. But somebody, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, they invited me to go to the Christian church. So I said, yes, I'm going to go to the Sunday school first time. So for me to go to another church, my parents, they were very, very upset. So I became a Christian as a 10, 11 years old, and I received the Lord as my Savior. For my family, I was the only one. And my mm. brother and my sister, that's all. So it was hard. But mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up in a Christian atmosphere. But as immigrant, I feel the pain because it's very hard. Yeah. Through these years. Yeah. Mm. But I'm so happy that I'm a Christian. You feel free mm. with Christ. Yes. And later on, my whole family became a Christians. Mm. My sister has 10 kids. My older sister has 10 kids. The next one, nine. So all the whole family become a Christians. Ah, beautiful. Praise God. Yeah. My parents become a Christians too. Mm. My uncles and my aunts, everybody. So I'm so happy that we have a big family on the Lord. So it's a big difference yeah. to be a Christian and not to be. Yeah. 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 Praise, yeah. Praise God. Well yeah. said. God bless you. Thank you, ladies. Wesley, introduce yourself, my man. Hey, everyone. I'm Wesley, and I am a graduate of Point Loma Nazarene University. I currently work for the San Diego Rescue Mission, and I, well, let me go into my story. So I was born and raised in San Jose, California, to two Vietnamese parents. And growing up in San Jose, it was so multicultural to the point where I was in a Vietnamese bubble. But even then, I was exposed to so many diverse cultures just because of how San Jose is. It's full of immigrants. And so we've also had Indian populations, Mexicans, black people, and some white communities too, and all the little ethnicities in between. So I was I was exposed to so many different cultures, religions, ideas, and I think growing up was an advantage because of that. And my church background, I grew up in a Vietnamese church, and so the Vietnamese church dynamic is so unique because it's divided. Because my parents came from Vietnam with their ideas and how they were raised, and all the other people in their generation that moved to San Jose, they also brought their kids, mm. AKA me, who was <laughs> born in California, raised with very Western values and speak English. And so within the Vietnamese church, there's a huge divide. Like we have two services in different languages because of that. And so there's a language barrier, there's a values, a difference of values and we're just in a unique spot. And growing up in San Jose, went there 18 years, became a Christian during my time there, and my mentors went to Christian colleges, and so that's why I want to go to Christian college. And so because of my individualistic ideas to accomplish something big, I want to go to San Diego, Point Loma Nazarene University, because I knew no one there. 
And so I'm going to make friends there. I'm going to carve my own path. And I kind of did. To my parents' disapproval as well, just because they expected me to take their route to become an engineer or some, a tech worker in the Silicon Valley, stay at home with them because it's cheap. Hmm. But I took a different route, went expensive route to <laughs> learn more about God and God's calling for me. Yeah. And this is my first step in white America. Yeah. Hmm. And what brought me to this church was at least for the first three years that I was here in San Diego, from 18 to 21-ish, I struggled to find a home church. Mm. I don't know if it's just because I didn't have a strong relationship with the church, because there were no, I wasn't going to extracurricular activities or just bonding with any of the people there. It could be because I was one of the few Asian people there. But I'm going to cancel that factor out because I am one of the few Asian people here in this church. And what made me come stay in this church is just how much Park Hill embraces community. Mm. And week after week, I have no reason to leave. I'm excited to come to church. And that's what I'm grateful for here in Park Mm -hmm. Hill is the welcomeness and openness Mm -hmm. of the differences Mm -hmm. of people. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to give this guy a shout out. So last night we had a community leaders meeting. He's a community leader. And we told the community leaders what we're doing here. And at first it was, it was just going to be the six of us. And Wes, like the man, he raises his hand and he's like, um, how do you plan to respond to the Asians in the church who will feel, do I even belong? Because there's no Asian representation. And I, I just want to say, to step into that space and to say, um, do you see me? is so bold and so honorable and so beautiful. So, uh, yeah, thank you. well done, yeah. Wesley. We see you. Mm-hmm. And, and just wanted to say on that note, we also see that there are plenty of uh, ethnicities and variations not on, on this panel. So this is not the end of the picture. This conversation isn't the end of the conversation about race at Park Hill. The, the idea is that this would be the beginning of ongoing solutions, yeah. and we are actively working towards uh, a framework in Park Hill to create an ongoing solution generator. Um, more on that la- later in the coming weeks and months, but um, I just wanted to kick it back to the Wyatts. How, okay, we are all here in this moment, and, and what a huge part for us um, to play in this moment is to listen to how you're processing it. How are you processing this moment uh, as our black brother and sister and Ariel, our sister in Jesus? Um, yeah, uh, what, what are you doing to stay connected to God? What are you doing to stay sane? Um, how, how are you processing? How, how are you? Mm. How are you? Um, I think in, in transparency, still processing, like, like many. Um, I shared earlier with other friends that there's been a flood of emotions. Um, there's anger. There's sadness. There's um, disappointment. Um, there's also hope mm-hmm. and an expectation that what I've seen 
happen through the media, via social media, as well as our traditional media, that things are getting better. What I've experienced um, looking at some of the protests that are happening where, you know, traditionally maybe it was just black or uh, one specific group, but there's so many people who are speaking up at the injustice that they've seen. Mm -hmm. And um, with that, yes, there's, there's a level of hope yeah. um, from a natural sense, from a spiritual sense. There's always, and it, and it has to be, you know, I, I, I have to encourage myself. Mm. You know, um, I, I, I think about Paul when he's before Agrippa, you know, mm -hmm. I think myself happy. Um, and, and reminding myself of the truth of God's word that he is sovereign, that he's in control, that he works everything together for good. Um, so there's, there's this underlying expectancy um, and, and I can't say that it supersedes what I see with my eyes, right. but I'm trying to look with the eyes of faith to believe that the changes that are happening now within our society, um, hopefully within the hearts of men that they see that that change will in fact come. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Well said. Tanika, how are you doing? Um, I am, I'm doing okay. I, um, there, there have been a lot of, um, moments like this mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we would, we would see a loss. Uh, in fact, for me, this, this particular season didn't start with George Floyd, but it started with the death of Ahmaud Arbery yeah. and the, the outcry that, you know, two men could basically hunt a man down and kill him for no reason and not be brought to justice. Yeah. Um, just, you know, be able to go about their day without any, um, any issue. And so there was the, the outcry for that. And, um, and by the time we all heard about it, it was months old, Yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and so finally there was, um, you know, these folks were arrested and, and then we hear Brianna Taylor was killed in her own home. And so I was uh, venting and, and I am definitely, I'm, I'm a woman of faith. My whole life is about trusting God. I have mm -hmm. no other, I have no other help outside of him, yeah. um, quite honestly. And so, but my lament and my vent to God is that like, is this country going to ever change? Like how yeah. many... Yeah. How many more hashtags will we have? How many more names do I need to add to my T-shirt? You know, um, as we protest and as we cry out on social media, you know, and, and I was feeling a sense of hopelessness, um, you know, after those two um, incidents. And so, and then here we go again, Yeah, George Floyd. It, it yeah. just was like back to, like every week there was something new. Mm -hmm. And... For uh, the initial thing is, you know what? E even Ahmaud Arbery, I don't, I don't even want to watch his video. You know, I just, like, I don't even want to go there. Let me just pretend this didn't happen because it's too much. It's overbearing. Um, so eventually, though, you, you, you understand what's going on and you have to, um, you know, you have to inform yourself and you have to respond. And so with George Floyd, um, there was just immediate grief. Like, 
like it just keeps happening. Yeah. It doesn't matter what we say. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how we cry out. It doesn't matter, you know, the conversations that we have. And there was just a sense of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. um, but last week, as I saw people protesting, and, and I feel like God used this time of this, this video that we all, maybe because we were stuck at home because of COVID, um, but the whole world watched this video. And for the first time, we couldn't explain it away. Yeah. Like, well, he, you know, he was resisting arrest. Um, he's very dangerous. He was armed. You know, you could not explain it away. And, and we see what's happening. Mm -hmm. We see people around, you know, crying out for his life and saying, you don't have to do that. Just, and so for the first time, I see everybody in the streets. Mm -hmm. Everybody's protesting. And it's no longer just our pain because yeah. it, it quite literally was always just our pain. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I can remember, um, you know, I, I remember when Philando Castile was killed uh, by an officer. You know, he was pulled over for just a, a routine traffic stop. And he's telling, the officer is asking him for his license registration. And he's saying, officer, I just want to let you know, I do have a gun. I am licensed. You know, and so he's pulling for it. There's a child in the car. His girlfriend is filming. And it was just, I remember being in school at the time. And even as an adult, this was just a few years ago, going to a predominantly white school, sitting in my classes and hearing people talk about how tough it is to be a cop. And I, I get that. We have friends and family. We all have friends and family who our police officers, we love them dearly and we mm -hmm. pray for them, we cover mm -hmm. them. We know they are individual people with families that they have to go home to. But to, to bypass the fact that this man lost his life unjustly and go right to, well, you know, it's tough being a cop. As if I'm not sitting there. Yeah. I hear you. And so, um, but for the first time, it wasn't just me, um, you know, talking to my other black friends. Yeah. But it was my white friends calling me, mm -hmm. checking up on me, us crying together, my Mexican friends, my Korean friends. It was this whole community of people, and so for the first time, feeling seen and heard. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that this is not just black pain, but it is yeah. human pain Come on. and human loss. And so I feel like personally, God, God heard my cries, and, and He said, "It is not hopeless. I am doing something." Mm -hmm. And I just, I'm, I'm grateful that. As we pray the kingdom come, that we're actually pressing into the kingdom. Yeah. We're not just praying and we're not just looking at my personal little kingdom. You know, kingdom come doesn't mean my house, 
my finances, my personal health, my children, but God's kingdom coming. And I believe that um, that's at work. So at the, at the same time that I'm grieving and processing and we're talking to our kids about how we respond and what's the appropriate response and, and activism and protest and all of the, you know, the rights that we have as Americans, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot going on. And, uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful. I see, um, I see sun cracking. I see the rays of sunlight cracking through the clouds. And it's yeah. just, um, it's a beautiful time, even though um, with the backdrop of everything going on, mm-hmm. there's, there's some beauty in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful. Mm-hmm. I want to thank you both. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing your lives with us. Um, Ariel, I would love to know how you are processing uniquely in this moment and um, kind of the process, moving from Florida to San Diego to be part of the team. Mm-hmm. For even, even those two, you know, those two white church cultures seem to, from what I hear, there seem to be different experiences for you. Yeah. I'd love for you to move, you know, through that story and how, how it lands you into this moment with the death of George Floyd and, and how you're processing. So... Maybe that, maybe you can articulate that. Yeah. Um, For me, uh, like I said, growing up in white majority environments, um, one of the chief differences is um, when things like this, when um, racial injustices have happened in the past, it really, much like Tanika saying, it really did just feel like black pain. So there are um, things that we process within my family, within our home, but then we go out um, and it's not talked about. Mm. It's not acknowledged. Um, Nobody checks in to see how it is. They just act like it didn't happen. Um, And so it became this thing where you're like, okay, this is something we talk about at home only. Um, And even in regards to not even big picture injustice things, but even just like in my own life and interacting with uh, friends, being the only black person there much of the time, um, I get a lot of jokes um, about being black. Um, A lot of things said in um, the name of being funny. and it, it's this awkward thing, like as you're, you're growing up, your impressionable years and beyond, you're like, okay, like, like kind of used to this because it always happens, but also like it makes me uncomfortable. And then times when I'd speak up and try to like defend myself, like, oh, that's actually really inappropriate. You shouldn't say things like that. Um, you're like, oh, well, it was just a joke. You know, I love you. Like, you know me, I'm not racist. We're good. It's like, oh, right, yeah, okay. And so again, these are like, I'm young. These are impressionable years. It's like, okay, yeah, no, they love me. They're, it was just a joke. And so then I would change my tune. I was like, okay. So when I would feel the need to speak, I was like, okay, like, I know you were good. Like, you can say that to me, but please don't say that around any other black person. Like, and so that would be kind of what I switched to um, as a way of still speaking up on behalf of my people. But um, I was like, I can bear this because I do know this person and it's fine. Um, so kind of dealing with all of that and coming out of an environment that one didn't 
really respond um, to things happening in the world and then in the way that they treat me, just out of good fun, um, maybe saying things that were inappropriate. Um, and then shifting here <laughs> to San Diego and being so overwhelmed by um, still being in a white majority environment, but with people who actually do care to ask the questions with people who um, want to know how I'm processing. <laughs> and so like for me, it's been such an interesting thing. I was like, oh, I've never been asked that before. Mm. So I now have to process this in a different way. Like I've talked to my family, I've talked to black people, but I've never talked to my white friends about these things because <laughs> they've yeah, never wow. asked. Yeah. Um, and so like, it's like this exciting but also new thing. And it's, I've been super blessed to even hear from people um, that I did grow up with who have just been like, ap actually apologized to me, which is like so humbling. I'm like, oh, that was something you said 15 years ago and you're apologizing to me now. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what is happening? Yeah. What's so different about this situation? Because um, this is not the first time that this has happened. Um, and then other people just reaching out, hey, how are you feeling? How are you processing? And by the way, I'm so sorry that this is the first time I'm ever talking to you about race. It's like, yeah. wow, yeah. like God's doing something. So there is, while I can echo what Tanika was sharing, like hearing about these most recent um, situations with starting with Ahmad, like I definitely felt so hopeless. It's like, there's like this thing, as I'm processing, I'm like, ah. you see these videos and people who just want to take things into their own hands and you're like, how do we fight that? What, I don't know, how do you convince people who are grown that like, you shouldn't feel like you have the right to do that? <laughs> You shouldn't feel like a black man running through your neighborhood needs to be followed. Yeah. How do we do this? Um, and just kind of like spiraling into that. But as the weeks have gone on and as, man, social media is <laughs> such a crazy thing and just seeing the amount of people who are responding who really feel repentant, who are reaching out to me personally and who are educating themselves, it has been exciting yeah. to see it really has and there's still so much to be done um, but there's also progress that has been made so I want to acknowledge both <laughs> you know like I want to celebrate what God has done because it's beautiful and also look ahead and be like please like yeah. as passionate as you are right now this is gonna be a very long process. Yeah. 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 So yeah. please, like, be in it with us for the long haul. Because <laughs> this is not an easy solution. And even some of the questions I've gotten is like, what do we do? It's like, this is not an easy, there's no like one answer, like, oh, just do this and then we're good. Like, yeah. we're in this for the long haul. And yeah. this is very much still the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ariel. Thank you. Yeah. That's, this is not, it's weird. I would just want to recognize also right now, I feel pastorally responsible um, to just speak this out. Um, 
as a, you know, white male pastor in this moment, please know that this, this conversation requires people of color to hold space for dominant culture folks to wake up. And that is so unimaginably hard to, to, to imagine being in that space. Like, um, this conversation requires people of color to hold space for dominant culture folks to wake up and, and, and for us to like push back and disagree and all of that while pain is happening. Like, that is grace. That is coming into, graciously stepping into someone else's space. Like, that is huge and it's so hard. And I just want to, in love, acknowledge that's so hard for me to like, like when I really think, I just say, I'm, I say thank you. Thank you for being present. Thank you for, um, it's just patience like Christ on the cross. It's Christ-like patience. Um, and so before we, before we move on that way, uh, I just want to ask one more question. Um, in light of everything that was just said by our black brothers and sisters, like maybe uh, Jason and Tanika both, um, like, how, like when, when did you first discover that there are actually people who deny that racism is a thing? Like, when did you discover that there are people who believe America's past race? Um, and then the follow-up is like, how, how did you deal with that, dis- that level of disappointment um, and grief? Because um, we talk about, you know, being emotionally healthy and, like, giving our emotions to God. But that, that's, like, next level. So maybe, maybe you can share, like, when did you come in contact with, with that? And what did you, how did you deal with that as a follower of Jesus? I can't think of the first time, but um, there's one incident that always comes to mind. Um, and I was at work. I've, at this point, had been in my job for a while. I knew my coworkers pretty well. Um, you know, a lot of us were having babies. Our families are growing. We're doing life together eight hours a day, you know, that kind of thing. And so you feel like you know people at least fairly well. And so um, I was in the break room heating up lunch, and um, two of my coworkers were already having a conversation. They were having a conversation in progress. Um, and so apparently they were talking about Obama. Um, I'm not, I don't recall if he was running at this point or had already been elected, but... Um, you know, they see me and, and they're talking about, you know, how wonderful it is to have a black president. And, um, and so they kind of beckoned me over like, hey, you know, we're talking about Obama here. You might be interested. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm like, hey, what's up, guys? You know, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, you know, we just think this is such a wonderful time and, um, in American history and, you know, Obama and, and just how great things are. And I'm like, you know, yeah, it's wonderful. I, I think many black people probably never thought they would see a black president in their lifetime. So yeah, this is great progress. And so then they say, uh, one of them says, um, you know, I feel like, like there's just no more racism. Like this mm. is really wonderful. Mm. Racism is gone. And and they turn to each other. I'm going to change names, you know. You know, Penny, 
I haven't experienced anything. Have you? Wow. No, me. I, me either. Like, wow. this is great. They didn't even and, go to you. Right. They turned to one another. They invited <laughs> me into the conversation so that I would know they were talking about Obama. Kudos. Um, <laughs> but then they turned to one another to ask the race question. Yeah. Have you experienced or seen any racism? Yeah. And I'm yeah. standing right there. And so at this point, I don't know if the microwave was buzzing or whatever, but I'm like, I cannot participate in this conversation. I don't, I didn't even have the bandwidth, the capacity to go any further in that conversation. And I just dismissed myself. Um, You know, looking back, I wish I had responded differently, but I just, I didn't have it in me at the moment. Um, So I just left. Um, And left very disappointed that, you know, that you, you feel like, I love what Ariel said, we have a long way to go. Um, we have much to do. And to think that one incident is like, yay, we're done. It does not undo 400 years. Um, it does not undo this cracked foundation that we were built on. Yes. Um, and yes. so it's just very difficult. And so when I see them at work, it's very difficult not to, for that not to come to mind. But I will say um, I have been more intentional about um, just being vulnerable and mm-hmm. sharing mm-hmm. and just trying to, in whatever way I can, kind of help people along or, or at least just step into community with them to provide space to have deeper conversations. Yeah. Um, so there's not just a shallow, you know, what happened that day because yeah. that was awful. Yeah, yeah. Th- thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Do you mind sharing the latter portion of the question? Oh, yeah. Um, how, how, so this is an era of disappointment. Yeah. So financial, medical, but then just add to this racial um, and it's so much. And add to that, dealing with people and relating with people who want to deny it. So like so much unmet, like unmet expectations, disappointment and grief. Uh, how do you deal with, how do you process that as a child of God? And um, yeah, I, how are you doing with that? Um, I think it's a, it's a, a conversation and, and, and a reminder that we are all still in process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're certainly in an imperfect world and people still need to be redeemed. Yeah. Um, and, the, and the prayers, in many cases, open their eyes, Lord. Let them see, especially those that name the name of Christ. Um, America as a whole, the world as a whole, you know, while these recent cases have been caught on camera, these are things that that have happened within our communities for for years. Um, So we're we're grateful again that now this can be seen. and, And I know that there's still some that will look at this and still try to say, well, what was he doing? What? And, yeah. and there, there are some who I, I think whose eyes are just blinded 
Mm. Yeah. Or they don't want to see. They don't want to recognize. They don't want to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. um, mm. But one of the things that we've talked about is, is really in order for there to be reconciliation, it, it has to be met with confrontation. Mm -hmm. the, the scripture that you read earlier, Jesus had to confront Peter's feelings. Yeah. yeah. You know, don't you say what, what I say is clean is unclean. Come on. So he had to deal with Peter's heart. And, and even from that same standpoint for our brothers and our sisters who, who just don't see. Um, praying God open up their eyes. I expect certain things from the world. Yeah. I expect certain things. And I, and, and I guess I've come to, to understand, well, well, that's his response. He's not redeemed. He's, you know, and, and praying certainly for um, the opportunity to build relationship, build rapport, share the love of Christ, pray that there, that there is understanding, pray that God opens up their eyes and, and, and overshadows them with his love. Mm. Um, but certain things we expect from, from the world, but, but for the believer, and, and really that's who I appeal to. Mm -hmm. uh, for, for my brothers and my sisters in Christ, I'm praying again, open up your eyes. Amen. Yes. Open up your eyes. It starts yes. with us. Yes. Charity begins in the household of faith. Amen. And, you know, for, for the friends that we have as well who have seen or maybe turned an eye to it or just... And cynicism says it's going to always be like this because I've, I've even been there too, where this is just a part of what happens. Mm -hmm. um, God, I pray that he, he opens up our eyes and, and helps us to have those conversations mm -hmm. and be willing to join the marathon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Like, but speaking of joining the marathon, I would love... Uh, to ask Marie and Rebecca, um, you know, the, the Latinx community of San Diego is vast, and, and um, I, I would love to hear from your perspective, mother, daughter, how, how do you see uh, the Latinx community responding to this moment? Um, and like, in, like, like Tanika asked the question, where do you see God moving or feel hope and encouragement right now from the perspective of, uh, you know, white passing Mexican daughter, immigrant mother, like what's going on there? Yeah, yeah I, I acknowledge that I'm, you know, a white passing Latina and I have the responsibility to speak to my Latinx community mm. and also the white community. Mm. And I want to be a better ally, advocate mm. and activist yeah. um, to my black brothers and sisters. Um, and I think... Um, a lot of us, you know, um, there's some practical ways in which we can do that. And I, th and I was talking to my black brethren, um, Jordan, uh, Jordan Harrison, a strong, um, intelligent, Harvard graduate um, man of God. And he was saying, you know, he thinks we can take some steps of action, mm. which, you know, I'll quickly say them. They yeah. include... Um, starting at home, right? Having those uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Um, two, obviously talking to our local politicians, mm -hmm. voting, et cetera. Three, uh, reorientation of how we view our neighbor. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's what we're pivoting, you know, we're pivoting. Yeah. 
yeah. at this yeah. moment. Yeah. And we need to, um, and, and, and lastly, I think serving our, our black brother and sister. How are we serving them? What are we giving um, to them so that they can progress? And so um, I, I love those simple um, tips that we can do. Yeah. And I know our church is um, predominantly white. And yeah. I want to address the guilt that I think um, some of us are feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I think we should transition that guilt into action. Yeah. Condemnation versus conviction. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, I, and we need to own up. You know, and we, as, especially as believers, we need to take that responsibility because our God is a God of justice. Yeah. And we need to have that desire for unity, that hunger for justice. Um, and so I think um, I, I always want to support my black brothers and sisters yeah. in doing so yeah. as a believer and daughter of Christ. Well said. Mother, do you want to speak you. on this? Mm-hmm. Being an immigrant, I didn't feel free. Yeah. Scary everywhere I go. Mm-hmm. So I feel sorry for my black community because not the only one. I was Latino and I grew up in Mexico City, it's, uh, in Tijuana, in San Diego. I feel very, very pain in my heart. Yeah. Oh. So I want to read uh, Galatians 5.13. You, my brothers and sisters, we call to be free, mm. but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather serve one another humbly in love, for the entire love fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor mm. as yourself. Mm. If we really love God, we made it, because we can... With no big wars, no prejudice, nothing. There's three points I want to say something. First, we have freedom in us, believers. We are believers, we have freedom. Let me say one more time, I'm a little nervous. We have freedom as believers. Second, it teaches us to use our freedom by helping, serving, and loving others. And number three, the law is fulfilled in us by loving God and your neighbors. Yeah. That's the love of Christ. It's love. Yeah. We are physically different, mm. but spiritually the same. Yeah. In Christ. Yeah. Praise God. That's yeah. all my words. <laughs> so beautiful. Amen. I love you. <laughs> so good. You are my, my friend and my neighbors. And yeah, thank you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thank um, you. Oh, my gosh. So, so pastoral. Thank you for that, <laughs> yeah. Maria. Thank you, Rebecca. And Wes, man, I would love to hear you from your unique perspective, coming from Vietnamese American culture. How is the, uh, from your perspective, the Asian American culture processing this moment generationally? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just, uh, and, and we're going to wrap up soon. I know it's been a while, but I, I want, uh, Wes is going to also lead us in communion. So if you have, uh, <laughs> so if you have bread and cup at home, we as, a, as the one new humanity, the family of Jesus, are going to eat and drink together. Wes is going to lead us. But first, as we wrap, I want to, yeah, just uh, invite you to speak into this from your perspective. How, how's that looking and feeling? Yeah. 
So the Asian American experience is in a such unique spot because of how America is set up. We think of America as a black and white spectrum. And where do we fit in is the question we're always struggling with. And we recognize that we have privilege. So for example, my roommate last night who is black, is we live within walking distance with, within a Ralph's. Just walked to Ralph and on the way there, he sees people like a mother shielding her kids mm. away from him just for walking. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because of all the images of looting and the negative stigma around black people. Yeah. But then today, I went on a jog through Point Loma, predominantly white neighborhood, waving at people. And they mm -hmm. wave back at me, smiling as if I'm harmless. And I recognize that privilege that I have. And I saw something from Hassan Minaj, who's this Indian comedian on Netflix. He has this special talking about the Asian American experience too. Mm. So he pulls up the George Floyd video. Mm. And in that video, within the whole context, you see this Asian cop standing, push, like pushing other people away, defending the white cop who is putting his knee on a black man's neck. And that is a representation mm -hmm. of Asian wow. Americans. Wow. How we're standing on the side defending white privilege. Mm. So that's the spot we're in. Wow, and with my unique spot of being a first-generation American, I have different values than my parents who grew up in homogenous Vietnam. And so with their thoughts, they came over to the U.S. because of the equal opportunity, equal access, and capitalist nature of the U.S., why can't, their thought process is why can't black people just stay in school, stay off drugs? Like, we Vietnamese immigrants, we made it. We did working jobs, why can't they do better? So that's their process. And then me growing up in America, I grew up idolizing black people because they were the only people that understood our struggle. Like, I idolized Kobe Bryant and that was something my parents didn't understand. And I also grew up learning about black history, about the war on drugs, and how crack cocaine destroyed black communities within America. Mm. And the civil rights movement in the 1960s, which my parents never knew about. And so we're in this interesting divide of people who grew up in America and people who grew up in their native countries. And so it's still such a complex situation. We don't know where we fit in. Wow. And that's where we're at today. Yeah. And a lot of Vietnamese Americans like me are using our voices to either lift up other black voices or just sit down and let other voices be heard in yeah. this appropriate yes. time. Yes. So, uh, yeah. Wow. Thank you, Wesley. Mm -hmm. that, that family dynamic, that's hard, hard to share. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Um, and the, so as we wrap up, the pastoral thing I keep coming back to, if you haven't noticed, is like how to be emotionally healthy, the, the emotionally healthy family of Jesus in this conversation. It's the only way I believe you can have this conversation. Yeah. Uh, emotionally healthy, spiritually mature. And so Wes, with that radical divide in your family over 
black suffering in America, you longing, like you feel the pain your parents don't, like uh, that's unmet expectation. That's radical disappointment. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, everyone's disappointed right now, but that's a unique kind. Yeah. And there's other unique kinds. Um, every, everywhere from you know, people not feeling their church is saying enough about it or people uh, not wondering why their, their siblings won't go to the protest with them or whatever. Like, there's so much unmet expectation right now. And so how do you deal with that with your parents? Um, yeah, right so one of the ways is actually a spiritual discipline that you went through one of the past Sundays, which was, I don't remember what it's called, but it's, I remember the phrase sticking out to me is that we are embodied souls and spirit-filled bodies that our physical posture reflects our spiritual nature. And so growing up in a Vietnamese-American church, one thing that I was taught to do is don't raise your arms in church. Because if you do that, you're distracting the experience from other people. You're probably blocking someone's vision. So it's about the collective experience. Hmm. But here, it's more welcome. It's individual. It's your physical posture reflects your spiritual posture. And so that's a practice I've developed for myself, just at least within my private time, to just bow down, Hmm. physically submit to God about, and with my physical posture of just actually submitting everything, I can give him all my anxieties, worries, and all of that. And it's just helped me fuel myself and become ready for these types of conversations mm. that need to be had. Mm. Yes. And so it's within that spiritual discipline that I've been able to have these types of conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's profound, yeah. Wesley. <laughs> and uh, what a great way to bring it home. I want to thank all of you. Thank you, Jason, Tanika, Ariel. Uh, thank you, Rebecca, Maria, and Wes. You guys are... Um, just a, a gift to me, to our church, uh, a blast to be family together. And on that, Wes, you want to just lead us in eating and drinking. Um, yeah. I don't know where all the communion cups are and such. So oh, there's cool. four over here. But, but we're going to do that. If you're at home, let's be the family. Let's eat and drink together. As soon as we eat and drink, we're going to have a response time on Zoom, parkhillsd.church. There's a button underneath the live stream. Uh, prayer response time. And it will be a Zoom webinar uh, where all of us can lament and grieve and pray and it'll be a prayer meeting. We usually are in this building when we gather and there's response and prayer and it's beautiful. This is the next best thing in this moment. And so in light of everything that was said and how the Spirit is leading us to see, and like Peter, the, 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 those that were other are now knocking. <laughs> will we wake up and step into their space and, and share space now. This is a sh- time to hold space for each other and to f- feel pain together and, and to move towards solutions, which our church is working on the, in an ongoing way. But, but as soon as Wes leads us in communion, get ready to, whoever can, join the response time in prayer. It'll be beautiful. Um, but Wes, take us home. Yeah, mm-hmm. so let's get your bread, cookies, whatever ready. And so Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And the bread is a symbol for his body that he laid down for us. Mm. And so let's eat it in remembrance of him right now. And then the cup of 
whatever that you have in your hand is a symbol of the blood that he has shed for us and the eternal water that we get to enjoy being in his presence. And mm -hmm. so let's drink from the cup. Thank you, sir. Thanks, friends. And Park Hill, um, we're going to all move to online prayer response right now. So however long you can come, you're invited. And as always, to connect with Park Hill uh, leadership or join a community to discuss these things and move forward together, just go to the website. It's all there. May the Lord bless you, church, and may he keep you in his peace as we... Uh, practice the way of Jesus together, led by the Spirit. So God bless. Have an amazing, amazing week. Next week, we have a guest speaker, by the way. It's going to be great. Social justice in the way of Jesus. Um, so may the Lord bless you and keep you.